Welcome to the food shop. I said the perfect. The food shop. <laughs> Welcome to the food shop live podcast. The Bible. Third time's a charm. Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and I am joined by Hui Huen, the Alabama woodworker. Hey, Guy, with the baby crying in the background. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's just me. Um, Brian is not going to be with us this week. He he was unable to. He's had prior commitments. So it's just you and me, Hui. I think yep. we can handle it. I think so. We've so, been doing this for a while. Yeah. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how things we get done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account. And right now we have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife and stay tuned in the show to hear about what we've got going on in our shops. So let's get right into it. Hui, you've got the first question. All right. So this question is from Big Cedar Table Company. Hey guys, I know you asked for more questions, so I'm going to try to help. I have a question about applying Odie's oil with a buffer. I've been using Odie's because it's too much work making a spray booth for spray finishing in my workshop. I've applied Odie's oil by hand with success, but it's a lot of buffing work. Gem buffers are pretty expensive. Has anyone tried putting a hook and loop pad on a car buffer and just put a non-woven pad on it? So uh, yeah, I don't know about a non-woven pad, but I was told to, when I was building this conference table, to buy these, the maroon buffing pad. So by the way, I'm using Rubio Monocote, which is not the same thing as Odie's Oil, but it's awfully similar. It's pretty much in the same category or class of finish in terms of an oil finish. The gem buffers are these 12-inch gigantic buffers that you see on Instagram and on Facebook for people that are building conference tables that are buffing out their tables. They're extraordinarily expensive, about $700. Why do they call it a gem buffer? You'd think it'd be just buff small things. (laughs) <laughs> you're funny uh gem is just the name of the company i don't know oh uh, okay so no that's i i don't know i i think it's just the name of the company uh so i have a rotex sander and i was told by someone who uh uses quite a bit of hard oil wax and and builds conference tables to use the rotex in dual action mode so not dual action mode i'm sorry in rotary mode the dual action is random orbit or rotary uh, and buy those maroon buffing pads. They're like these 12 inch buffing pads. Red pads. Yeah. Yeah. That you can get from the home Depot mm-hmm. uh, in the rental section uh, there. They were about $14 and that pad. I was able to cut out about five buffing pads for myself. Worked like a charm stuck on with the hook and loop, put it uh, put the rotary action on the lowest setting. I put it on one. Uh, and it works great. So it's, you know, great amount of control. Now you don't have to use a Rotex. You can use any rotary type, uh, sander. So rotary just means that rather than it randomly orbiting on this axis, it is, uh, engaged with a gear. Okay. And so most polishers or buffers are going to, are going to work that way. So any rotary action sander or buffer will work with these pads. 
Guy, I know you guys build a lot of conference tables. I mean, are you guys buffing like this at all? Nope. <laughs> so, nope. But what about hand buffing? What do you use? Because I remember in one of your videos, you had done, it's not a French polish polish finish, but did you use wax and a steel wool pad? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've talked a little bit about that because that's a different buffing topic. It's kind of the buffing topic, but you know, it's a it's, little different. It's actually quite a bit different because it was the the I was buffing out a shellac finish mm -hmm. to give it more of a matte because shellac is actually very shiny. It's a it's it's not a matte finish, but you can get a matte finish when you use like a, a quadruple lot steel wool and mm -hmm. a little bit of, of wax. And that works pretty well. But it's, it takes, there's a lot of work to it. There's a lot of elbow grease. Mm -hmm. As far as this question about the oil, I don't know. I have not used Odie's oil. Mm -hmm. And I've tried um, the Rubio mm -hmm. once and I didn't like it. But I think there's a big difference between Odie's oil and Rubio Monaco. Rubio Monaco, isn't there? The, 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 Odie's, the Odie's oil is, is just like, Wax and boiled linseed oil, is it, it? I think it's, it's still in the same category as a hard oil or hard wax oil. I don't know. Uh, in the sense that it's supposed to cure hard as opposed to like just a liquid and just soak into the wood. I, I, I don't know. Um, but Maybe I always thought that they were the same category of finish. Yeah. I think it depends on what kind of wax they're putting in it, like it's carnauba or something else. Sure. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I've, I have not used either, so it's hard for me to say. Um, do you guys buff out tables at work? No. Okay. So no, you just we, put a finish. We, 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 we finish. spray, we spray, spray regular, regular old pre-cat lacquer on everything. Okay. So, um, 100%. Yep. It's all lacquer. And the guy that does it is he's a little bit older than I am and he's never wore a mask. It's pretty it's I knew pretty you were impressive. gonna say that. It's pretty impressive. So, and and he smokes a cigarette while smoking. Nope. No, no, he doesn't smoke doesn't smoke. But um yeah, it's you go back there, man, it just stinks like hell. <laughs> well, guy, but, I think uh, you got the next question. Yeah, I wish I could be more help with that, Mike. But so that was from Mike, wasn't it? No, mm -hmm. no. And that's from a uh, big red, big cedar table company. Big cedar. I'm sorry. sorry. So this question comes from Joe James and says, first, I love the podcast. I listen to several others as well. This is by far the best. Thank the you. premier podcast on woodworking. Ooh. Your focus on questions is outstanding. I know that you repeat yourselves often, but it's so helpful to those that are trying to learn the craft. I learn something every time I listen. Thanks. And one of the reasons we repeat ourselves, repeat a lot of these questions is not everybody has heard all the podcasts. So we right. might have answered a question three or four weeks ago, and then we have a new listener who hasn't heard those answers. So it does overlap a little bit, but there's only so many questions that can be asked. Anyways, so his question has to do with spraying a finish. I just bought my first HVLP sprayer. I've watched many of the YouTube videos on the basic process with regard to how to tune the gun and process and motion of applying the finish. 
Many of the finishes today, especially water-based finishes, dry very quickly. Yes, they do. Thank God. So what do you do between coats? Do you always break down and clean the gun and all the other components? Is there some tricks that you use to keep the gun clean and ready for the next coat without breaking it all down and starting anew? Thanks again, Joe. So I'm going to tackle what to do between the coats, we, and then you can talk about cleaning the gun a little bit. Sure, sure. Uh, Between, I usually put down two coats of finish. If I'm spraying water-based finish, I'm typically going to put down one or two coats of shellac first because it gives a little bit more color. It doesn't, it's not water white like the, the, the water-based finishes are. Then I'll put down and then I'll sand it back. And then I'll put down usually two coats of the finish, mm-hmm. not doing anything in between other than letting it dry for a couple hours. Right. And then I'll put the, the second coat on. And after the second coat dries, give that an hour or so. And then I sand it back with like a, a four or 600 grit, typically a 400 grit sandpaper, very lightly. All I want to do is get rid of the dust nibs. I'm not really looking to take any finish off. I'm just looking to flatten the finish out. And then I'll put another coat on, do the same thing, put another coat on, do the same thing, and find out where I'm at. And I may put a, a, a fourth or a fifth coat on. It really depends. But I typically put around three to four coats plus the shellac. Mm-hmm. Hui, why don't you tackle the, the cleaning? The cleaning, yeah. So when I'm done with whatever finish I'm using, I always have the cleaner that's recommended on hand in case of, what is it, uh, conversion varnish. It's either lacquer thinner or in some cases acetone, which... I, I do not mess with anymore, by the way. Uh, so I, I stick mostly with water-based finishes now or waterborne finishes now. And so in that case, what I do is I just rinse out the gun. So first I take out the off the cap and I rinse out, you know, I empty out whatever is in there and I rinse that out. Put water in it, a little bit of soap, you know, like a little bit of Dawn dish detergent, sh- shake it up, spray it out. And then I actually take, and I do this after every major spray, I just take the whole gun apart. I just take it apart and I just soak it in water, come back about 10 minutes after I've cleaned up the HVLP unit and the hose and everything and broken everything down, come back in, scrub it, put it on, put it on a dish strainer that I have next to my utility sink. And then I wait till the next day, put it back together, put it away. That's it. Put an oil on it or anything or any of the parts? Yeah, I, I put uh, so I put a little bit of oil um, in where the uh, trigger is and where the um, the needle slides in. So yeah, a little mine bit. Mine came oil. with mine came with like a kind of a grease. Mine came with a little bit of oil in a tube. Okay. Yeah. So um, so yeah. can can I ask you can I ask you this because I'm about to do a significant amount of spraying with shellac and I think this pertains. I'd like to use a spray gun for it. Mm-hmm. So in between coats, because he he talks about a little bit in between coats too. If I'm just going to spray and I know that I've already done a sand back and I'm happy with the finish, I, I'll spray and then I'll come back and I'll spray again in a second coat, but I will not do anything with the gun. I leave the fluid in the gun and I just have it on a stand. But if you are going between sandings, do you break down the gun? What do you do? You do anything with that? Nope. 
No. I have, okay. I've actually forgotten to clean my gun several times after spraying and come back to it like weeks later, and it's fine. Okay. So even a day, you're fine? Yeah. Now, what about shellac? Same thing. Okay. So, thing. so this is a question for me, Guy. So if I have uh, this trying to cabinet I'm building, I want to do nothing but a shellac finish and probably wax on top because it's not going to see much um, touch, you know, it's just yeah. really going to store knickknacks and whatnot. Would you spray, keep the material in the gun, sand, spray, sand, spray, just doesn't matter. Yeah. It's fine in the gun. Yeah. Okay. It's fine in the gun. All right. You cool. might have to, you know, like grab a fingernail and clean off the nozzle. Yeah. Sometimes there's a little bit of a buildup or a film on it. That'll yeah. cause the gun yeah. not to spray. You might have to, you know, Scrape it off with your nail bit. or something, but it's it's not a, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, I never clean between doing that, and I've got two guns, so I'm typically I have one with shellac in it, and one with the other whatever the other finishes, whatever the top coats I'm putting on. You've got the Graco. It's what what are they? A PPS system. Well, that's three M's. Uh, it, it's the the Graco gun. The um, it has a membrane inside that squeezes yeah. in, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's got like a, a collapsible cup, and you don't really it can it'll spray upside down at any angle because it just kind of like collapses the cup and pushes all the finish into the into the tube. Works really yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I should have gotten the bigger one for whatever reason. I got the smaller cup of those, and it just goes through the material too fast. For yeah. I don't know why. When, but when you spray shellac, you do tend to go through a lot of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it really goes through the gun pretty quick. But yeah. uh, and you, anyways, you, uh, sorry, one more question. Yeah, you you use a one point zero or a one point two tip? Do you remember? No, you might not know that. Is it the next to smallest size? Yeah, I think I, I think it's a. I don't know off the top of my head. It's it's yeah. the one I have in the box marked shellac tips. <laughs> It's a small tip. We're one of the smallest. Yeah, yeah. I'll have I, don't, to I don't really get it. involved a lot. You know how I am about numbers. It really doesn't mean yeah. anything to me. Yeah. So I hope that helps, Joe. And uh, we, you have the next one. So this is Paul, from Paul Gennaru. I believe I'm saying that right. But if I'm not, I'm, I apologize, Paul. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Can you give any recommendations on hardwoods you enjoy to make furniture with? A lot of the furniture I've built in my house has been made from walnut, white oak, and cherry, and I'm looking for something new. I'm looking to build some new furniture for my basement, TV stand, coffee table, maybe a dry bar to match species. But I'm looking for something new to use other than those stated above. Thanks for all you do. Paul Genero at Twin Lake Workshop. Woodshop, excuse me, sorry. So I, I'll say it right here that Walnut, white oak, and cherry are pretty much the three main species that I stick with, and I love them. Uh, I mean, you've got, you want something a little bit more red that takes different types of dyes really well, go with cherry. You want to do, you know, something light, go with white oak. You want a dark wood, walnut. You know, those three kind of are the three color, color tones that I like to stick with, right? But in terms of something different and new, I, I haven't really ventured much out of that other than one other species, which is Sapile, which is a form of mahogany. Is that correct? Am I correct in saying yeah. that? It's very similar. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess I like working with Sapile because I really enjoyed it. But one thing that I did, and I think what you can do, Paul, uh, that might actually make working with exotics or different types of wood a little bit more affordable is actually look into more veneer type work, um, particularly on things that require big panels and whatnot. I'm making this china cabinet out of all solid walnut. And honestly, it'd be a lot easier if I was making it at, out of veneered sides instead of you know solid walnut. Uh, I think it would just be a lot easier to handle. It'd be a lot more stable. So I think if you're, you're saying here, TV stand, TV stand, coffee table, dry bar to match species. Yeah, man, I think you, you're you going to have to start getting into veneer work, man. If you're going to be doing, you know, some of these bigger, uh, bigger uh, surfaces, yeah, you might look into that. But for me, in terms of just solid hardwood, I enjoyed working with Sapile, which is a form of mahogany. How about you, Guy? What do you yeah, think? Um... What other woods have you worked with other than those three? I worked with a lot of different things. I, they, you know, but as far as this question goes, you know, walnut, white oak, cherry. I think maple has to be thrown in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all domestic hardwoods that are yeah. very plentiful or abundant, and I think that's what a lot of us here in the states use yep. uh, because of that. And right. it's 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 not super super expensive. A white oak has gotten pricey recently um there's really not you know and i'm not an exotic wood guy so the only other thing i can really think of but even that's going to become more difficult to get and it's hard to get if not impossible to get depending on what part of the country and by now where we are now it's still available is ash yep <clears throat> um I've built some stuff out of ash here in my shop and at work, we build a lot of stuff out of ash and I really enjoy working with it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's actually a very heavy, dense wood, but it's very stable Mm. and it can have some cool colors and stuff to it. So um, it stains well, it takes dye well. Um, It's, and it's it's fairly inexpensive if you can yeah. find it. Yeah. It's fairly inexpensive. We um, have a lot of red oak where I'm at. We have a lot of red oak too. Actually, we're starting to switch over from the ash supply is going away here. Yeah, we 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 buy as much as we can when we can. Uh, you know, like tens of thousands of board feet at a time. But we're starting to switch our customers over to Cortison red oak now. Hmm. Which is just nasty that? crap. Boy, yeah. is it awful. It just, yeah. you look at it and it's, it's almost like, um, reminds me a lot of hickory. Yeah. Uh, okay. Where it just, it, you, you mill it and it just starts cracking. It's just horrible. Hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of it. It's very I- stringy. It's, it's hard to work with. I've used a good a bit of red oak recently because I've wanted I've had clients that wanted dyes, stains, uh, yeah. different colors, and it seems to accept it pretty well if you yeah. do the right blotch control steps. Yeah, well, as I said, ash is a lot like that too. Yeah, but ash is a lot nicer to work with than red oak. Red I oak imagine. is just very stringy. Yeah, um, I just don't. I that's just personal preference. Not mm-hmm. not not a big fan. Um, but, uh, that's something to consider, you know, if you're not using it and everybody always talks about hard maple, hard maple, hard maple, don't 
do hard maple, do soft maple. Soft yes. maple is still twice as hard as just about anything else, but it's mm-hmm. much easier to work with. Yeah. Um, and it's fairly I, inexpensive. I and found that can, out the you, hard way. And you can get that a lot of that stuff. I mean, you'll, you'll get maybe a, if you order, let's say a, a hundred board feet of it at a time, you might get lucky and get some pieces that have spalting in them or yeah. yep. bird's eye or tiger mm-hmm. in it. And that's mostly what you're uh, not the tiger. You're going to find that mostly in the, the hard maple, but the, the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's some real hidden gems sometimes. Now you've worked with some pile. really interesting veneers though, some yeah. burls and some, yep. uh, you don't often make big pieces out of those. Those are usually accents to mm-hmm. panels per se. Yeah. Um, but you've used a good bit of different types of veneers, right? I mean, your, yeah. your executive desk, right? Is a, a Babinga, isn't it? Nope. No. That's cherry. What? It's it's cherry? cherry. Yeah. I was going to do Babinga on it. I actually made a panel and I buggered it up. Oh no. Oh, yeah. what happened? I buggered it up. <laughs> I, I used, I, I used the wrong kind of glue. I, okay. I used, uh, regular veneer glue and I should have cold pressed veneer glue and like an idiot because I didn't have any, uh, urea resin glue. So yeah. I just used that and it bit me in the ass. Yeah. Um, so that's a story for another day. <laughs> that's a story uh, for another but veneer day. Veneer is a, is a good, is a very good way to go. Um, yep. there's a lot of different things you can do with veneer and you can get a lot of different color, different colors and it's very cheap and it's stuff you can order UPS. Yeah. And get yeah. shipped to your house. So it's kind of cool. All right, guy, you got the next question, man. <laughs> all right. This one comes from Peter Downing and Peter says, Hey guys, I've been watching all the new Yankee workshop episodes as they're being released on YouTube lately. Is PBS releasing those or is like, uh, somebody else doing it? Uh, you can find them on YouTube. Yeah. Released on YouTube. Yeah. Interesting to see how Norm did things back then, including how some of his techniques evolved over the years. One thing he almost always does is pin his tenons with dolls. Hmm. I don't see this much uh, today unless it's a draw bore, which I didn't see Norm ever do. The pinning is almost always followed up with one of Norm's favorite phrases. That's never coming apart. I guess the question is, is should we be pinning the tenons only in specific circumstances or only if a draw bore? That's a good question, Peter. I actually had a a discussion with uh, uh, a guy at work today who's a very accomplished woodworker. And we were talking about, he was actually asking me about a horizontal boring machine. I was like, well, what the hell are you going to use it for? Well, to do... The only thing I can think of where it's really useful is if you're doing a lot of uh, loose tenons. Sure. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, if you're doing integral tenons, you're 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 doing it on a table saw or something else. Yeah. Anyways, we started talking about that, and we started talking about clamping things. And to me, pinning the joints, I don't think is going to add any. I'm probably wrong on that, but I, I, I never did it as a way to add strength to the joint. There's two reasons I always did it. The first one is the aesthetics. Yes. I think it looks cool. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Norm did it because it looked cool. 
The second thing is, especially with a draw bore, is you don't have to clamp. So right. if you've got a, a long table that's got, you know, like an eight foot long apron, you try clamping that thing, man, it's just, it, it can be very, very difficult. So especially with a draw bore and you do it correctly, it, it there's no clamps needed. It right. just, you pound them in and boom, you're done. Yep. yep. So. You're, you're a hundred percent. That's, that's why you, the only other thing that I've heard is a mechanical safety net if the wood joint failed but in with modern glues i do not think that would be the case in most situations maybe if water were to get to it for an extended period of time but as far as i know the wood glues now are just yeah, yeah. it's not yeah, i don't think I, they're coming apart I think that it does add some mechanical strength to it. Now, what the value of that is, I think, really depends on the project and what you're doing and what's your end goal. And the so, key there, the key there is exactly as you said, is is the value. Can I just put a loose tent? Here's a situation, right? Yeah. If I did a trestle table with a draw bore or I did a trestle table with big giant dominoes, what's going to be stronger? Here's the better question. Why does it matter? Yeah. Why does it matter? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's going so, to be plenty strong either way. Yeah. It'll be plenty strong either way. The, I think, you know, it, I think what the way we build furniture at work, we don't know what tenons are. Everything is done with a domino. Sure. So biscuits, biscuits, and, and biscuits. But as far as the, but that that's not really the assembly of like uh, table frames and stuff like that. Table bases. It's almost mm-hmm. it's all dominoes. So it's all loose tenon joinery, mainly mm-hmm. because you don't have to add. It's very easy to figure out. I need a board this long. I don't have to add extra for the tenons and right. all that other junk. So it's just. Mm-hmm. You just cut it and you go. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy. But we do run into clamping problems quite a bit because we build some really big tables, you know, like 10, 12, 14 foot tables. Right. And they have bases. Sometimes they have wood bases. Most of the time they have metal bases, but sometimes they have wood bases. And the aprons are just so long. We have to come up with all kinds of crazy ways to clamp them up. And situations like that, it would be nice to just be able to just do a, a, a tenon. Right. And draw a board and pound it in because that's what I used to do here at home because it was right. easier. Forget the clamps. Yeah. Forget you don't the have clamps. to get. Yeah. Um, now, I also think, you know, when I comp- I look at that, that 10 foot long table, let's say, mm-hmm. and I compare the, the strength of that 10 foot table base with dominoes as compared to a 10 foot table base with integral tenons that are draw board. I, I think that the integral tenons that are draw board is going to be a lot stronger. Sure. Than the, than the dominoes will be. I, uh, and I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the domino. The domino is a fine joint, mm-hmm. but just overall, I, I feel better doing it that way, but we don't have time to do that at work. 
you know, we built right. these jobs very tight and we got to build them. Yeah. yeah. Don't have time to do a mess with all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't the know. Does that, that answer his question? I think so. I think it does. <laughs> I mean, there, the, the, I think you're right. I think there was an aesthetic. I think he was also looking and you remember he would, he, he would look at the originals a lot yeah. of times at the beginning and you say, Oh, well, this is how it's put together. And it's done. You can see here the dovetails. You can see here, Oh, look, the integral tenons. We've got this. So he was actually not just building it to modern standards. He was actually building it in most cases to the standards of when they were building it then. Yeah, he was building reproduction pieces. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's true. That's true. And a lot of the old stuff did have, you know, they did yeah. pin the tenons. Right. Right. So, all right. Now yeah. it's your turn, Lee. Yes, I've got Greg Murray. Hey, guys, love the show. Appreciate the fact that you answer questions. And although there is a little bit of banter between the three of you, it doesn't dominate the podcast as other shows do. And you know well, who you. you are out there. <laughs> I, want to I want to attend a convention for woodworkers, and I'm curious if you have suggestions on what would be good convention for woodworkers to attend. Thanks in advance, Greg. So when wood conventions used to be wood conventions, um, probably pre-COVID, although a lot of things are starting to come back. I think Wood Mag, uh, not Wood Magazine. Um, oh, what is that? Uh, Woodworkers. What is the one that I saw you at, Guy, in Atlanta? What was that? Oh, it goes. Woodworker show? The Woodworker show. It goes to That's Indy. More about, they're more like selling stuff then anything else so let me because i'm trying to understand what he means by convention does greg mean do you think greg means convention like something like the woodworking show or something like iwf or awfs does do you think he means something like that i think awfs is what i would consider more of a convention i, I don't know what his intentions Mm -hmm. And the question is, I don't know if I want to read too much into it, but I think we can cover all those things. Okay. All right. So the woodworking show is, yeah, very much a selling sales place where uh, places, uh, companies like Carter Tools, I think they, uh, there was a company, uh, Lee Valley used to go to them a lot. Um, Grizzly Jet used to have a display at all these with their equipment and whatnot. And, and they were fun. They were actually really great meeting places. I thought they were great places for other people who I knew either on social media or through woodworking would be there. Uh, I, IW, IWF, International Woodworkers, yeah. whatever. Isn't, it, isn't there an AWFS too? And there's an yeah. IWF and AWF. And a yeah, IWF and AWF. And they alternate years. I went to IWF in Atlanta. Uh, oh my goodness, that is, it's massive. It is absolutely massive. I don't know how much it is, but it was actually a lot of fun. And the reason why it was so much fun is because you see these giant machines. It's all over. Trees like just, go in one end and furniture comes out the other. It it is ridiculous. Like you learn yeah. so much about the industry and how like how little our part of the industry is, right? The hobbyist woodworker, the mm -hmm. at home, like commission based woodworker. That 
that niche is so small. So when you like go to IWF and see all the machinery. So yeah, I would say that one's a fun one to go to. And it is a weekend long and it's a, it's, it takes about a weekend to get through all of it. Cause it's, that I think big. there's one coming up. That one's in Las Vegas. That's in Vegas. Yeah. That's AWFS. Yeah. And they alternate years I think it's between Atlanta. I just got an email Vegas. the other day. Yeah. Have you been to any woodworking no. conventions? No. No. You've been I'm no. Just on a lot of mail. I'm just on a lot of mailing lists. <laughs> you, you go to the woodworking show. You've been to the woodworking show. I have. And it actually came here. The woodworking show, I said, it's, it's mostly people selling stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a good meeting place for, you know, the, the people in town. And it is mostly for hobby woodworkers. It's not right. uh, the professionals really don't go to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the tools are, are geared towards woodworker. Well, what, what we was talking about, AWFS and IWFS or IWF or whatever, those are mostly geared towards the industry type. So I think correct. Greg is really talking about, you know, hey, I'm a hobby woodworker. Where, where should I go? Yeah. I think the, the woodworking show is a good place to start. And they used to have classes and stuff that you had to pay to attend. Sure. Um, they actually had it here in Indianapolis again this, uh, this year. It was the first one since COVID. I did not go to it. Okay. Um, yeah. And the main reason... I've been going to them over the years as we've always had a meetup afterwards. Yeah. So I'd go to the show for like an hour or two, walk around and go, yeah, I don't need any of this stuff anyways. And then we'd go to the meetup, have some beers and, you know, yeah. talk shop with the guys, but they didn't do that this year. And it was just like, well, yeah, we'll just, you know, see you there. And I'm not bothering. Uh, and it's, it's, it's like 14 bucks, 15 bucks to get in. And I'm, you know, cheap. So, um, there was a lot of stuff like, you know, Weekend with Wood and yeah. the uh, Pop Woodworking used to do something. Woodworking in America. Woodworking in America and Fine Furniture had done a couple of them. Then COVID hit and it pretty much killed all that stuff. And what I think a lot of these people found out is that you can do it virtually now. Yep and not in person. And I, I think that has really hurt a lot of people. Um, not only manufacturers, but also the, 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 the hobbyist woodworker that like to go to those shows. Um, I've person been to, to a person couple interaction. Of, the, of the woodworking in America's I've been to a couple of the weekend with wood and I had a really good time at all of them. Yeah. Um, there was yep. a lot to, to see and do and learn. And, and, you know, you met a lot of incredible people, uh, both inside the industry and just inside, you know, the, the social sphere of things. I really miss them and I wish they would bring them back, but I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Thank well, you, I'm, COVID. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, uh, Woodworking in America is not coming back. That yeah. was a Megan Fitzpatrick thing. Yep. And she's no longer editor yep. at Popwood. And when I talked with Wood Magazine, they said that they were not doing Woodwork uh, Weekend with Wood anymore. Yeah. And those were probably the two best, yeah. from what I recall, yeah. woodworking conventions that existed because they actually 
would have full classes of very interesting woodworking material to present mm-hmm. and demos. Uh, yep. And and you basically you paid for it. You just there were multiple classes going on at multiple times, and you chose which classes to go to. It, yeah. And I think it was like a hundred bucks, one hundred and ten bucks. Yeah. The time. It was, it was, but yeah, you you had you had to go to you have to go somewhere and it, it stay in a hotel. It costs money to go. It's not cheap, but it's yeah. it was well worth it. And I said I'm I'm really sorry to see those those things go away. Yeah. Um, the last two I went to are the weekend with wood ones. Yeah. Um, once I went as a guest of Wood Magazine, and then once I went as an instructor, yeah. and I had a I had a blast. It was just a really good time. Uh, good quality people running the thing, and yeah. uh, good quality people present? attended. So, what did you present? Uh, I did several classes. I think I did three classes. One was on four side. Surfacing four sides, mm-hmm. how to get square wood. Yeah. I did a class on doing um, uh, radial veneer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. And I actually ended up writing an article for them about it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then I did on, on bent lamination. I also Neat. did a class. Yeah. On bending bending things. Mm. Um it was a lot of fun. I said I met a lot of really good people there. The thing with that is, and Woodworking America was the same way. It's a it's a paid event. It wasn't like it's not like a hundred bucks. It's a couple three hundred dollars to get in. It oh, was, is it? okay, okay. It was expensive, and because of that, and I know some people might take this the wrong way. There's not a lot of riffraff in there. People that <laughs> that went there went there to learn. Yeah, and it was yeah. very purpose minded. It wasn't a big social event kind of thing yeah you know what i mean yep so it was i I really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it and i I was sad to see all that stuff go but hopefully someday they'll they'll do them again yeah so all right i hope that uh hope that helps you got the last question guy i got the last one now this question's from mike yep and he says ready set go Infinity Tools Pro Router Table Packers with three and a quarter Triton router or a Grizzly G1035 shaper that can still run half inch router bits. Hmm. Always lots of talk about router tables, but never th- anything about smaller shapers. He says, I also says, I found this podcast a while ago and have made my way through all the episodes. You're a real glutton for punishment. I really appreciate all the great content. Keep it up. Thanks, Mike. So I've I've struggled with this before too. Mm-hmm. And myself, I prefer the router table. And the reason is, is I am addicted to the Incra fence, <laughs> which I cannot put on a shaper. The other thing is you're going to get much to me, I think you're going to get much better dust collection off a router table than you are a shaper. I don't need it. The only, I mean, we have a big shaper at work. We've got a big three horsepower Powermatic. Yeah. It sits there. In a, in a wood shop, it sits there and we build really? commercial stuff. We never use it. It's really handy if you're doing a lot of molding or trim. 
Sure. Yeah. Which we do not do. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're easing edges. We're doing router table stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is a big, huge 8,000 pound machine. We could put a half inch router bit in it too, but it's yeah. just too much setup. It's too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And guess what kind of router table we have at work? An Incra. Yes. <laughs> that I, I made sure that we got that. So um, I said, I'm a fan of the router table. I think for a hobbyist woodworker, yeah. it's, it's a better thing. And, and you know, you can, you don't have to buy a shaper. You don't have to buy an Incra fence. You can make a router table just by drilling a hole through a piece of plywood and bolting a router up underneath the damn thing. Sure. And sure. putting a fence on it, making a fence. I mean, it can be done very cheaply and very effectively too. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go through all that. Um, so there's a lot of options there. I think you have more options as a hobbyist woodworker with a, with a router table than you do a shaper. I think so too. I think I, uh, what I like the best about a router table is the form factor. Uh, I like that it's on casters, although I know the G1035 can be put on casters. But I really like the form factor of having a cabinet and all the drawers and everything because really that's what makes it a little bit easier as a hobbyist woodworker and, and really someone in a garage doing this is that you have all that storage and, and whatnot within that router table. I, that's what I, so on top of the fact that you had that versatility, like you said, guy, I just like the form factor of a router table over a shaper. Now, if I was in a production shop and I was making railings all day, every day for, you know, eight hours a day. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably have a shaper, right. With a power that. feeder. What? We don't do that. Right. Exactly. Sense. Exactly. So it's, it, it's, it's dependent on whether or not you do that. And I know, I know, I know people are going to say, well, you can put a half inch, you know, router. Yeah. yeah I got it. I, I, I understand, but you're, you're right. I think there is a little bit less setup and maybe the, the setup is a little bit more user friendly with a router table than uh, a shaper. So yeah. maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's a couple advantages to having a shaper though. First of all, you can get much, larger blades for it. So if you are going to do something like, you know, uh, raised panel doors, things like that, mm-hmm. you can get the real big, huge monster, you know, bits that, that weigh 3000 pounds and to cut the stuff in one pass. Yeah. Um, those OG patterns. Yeah. And another big advantage to them is something that nobody really thinks about is the noise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A big, has. Uh, a universal motor versus uh, a regular capacitance motor. It, it's <laughs> it's a difference between a, a you know a router bit, a, a router, and your bandsaw. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. different sound is just huge, huge. Right, right. So it's right. a lot less noisy. And if you're if you are going to be running a bunch of stuff, you can run it through a through a regular router table. But you know, it's really noisy and stuff and. If you got neighbors, I, I can see, I can see the advantages in some cases of sure. having the larger shaper instead of a router table. But I guess I'm just too, I'm too used myself. I'm just too damn used to the, the, the anchor to get rid of it. If I can't yeah. put an anchor of fence on it, I don't want it. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. You're I'm, locked in. 
I hey, I know in- what you mean, man. I have an old, in- I have an Incra Ultra. Yeah, I had the, I started out with a twin linear, which was our first one. <laughs> All right, ninety seven. I got you. <laughs> so um, one of the guys at work, we had donated an Incra fence, and there's another guy at work that does woodworking, and he was saying, eh, "Yeah, take that thing." And he has a Powermatic uh, table saw. Mm-hmm. I said, take that thing home and put it on. I, I asked him about a month ago. I said, so how, you, this is a couple of years ago. And I asked him recently, how you like it? He goes, oh, I, I couldn't live without it. <laughs> He's I got said, an ink fence on a, on a Powermatic table saw? Yeah, that's what I have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wish I could have that on my table saw. but You can. I don't have the room. The, sure. the, the oh, outlet. that's that's. Everybody says that. You got to have all this room off the side. How often do you set your fence more than 10 inches from the blade? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Like once well, every 50 or 100 cuts, everything is 12 or twelve inches or under. Yeah. I, I it's, see what it's you're not, saying. It's not a big deal. It, it's because I have my router table on my right wing. That's yeah. why. Yeah. So I have an Incra fence for my router. Anyway. Anyways. That's another story. Anyways, that's <laughs> so. I hope that answers your question, Peter. I think it's really a um, a personal thing. Is Mike? That was Mike. Oh, yeah, Mike, Peter, Jim, Bob, <laughs> Joe, Paul, Paul, Greg. <laughs> you know um, who I'm talking to out there. So, anyway, so I think that's going to do it for the questions. What do you got going on in your shop, Lee? I know you've got you're building a china cabinet. Yep. Yep. And I just got the, so I finished the face frames. So I did the biscuits for the face frames to attach the main part of the carcass. And, uh, I also milled all of the material for the rails and styles for the six light divided doors, not light six pane light divided doors. Yeah. Uh, that are actually stacked on top of each other. So I guess it's a 12 pane light divided door. Anyway, I mailed mailed all the rails and styles for that, uh, making them an inch thick and uh, got, uh, I think I already talked about the hardware. Yeah, I already got the hardware in, but I milled up that material. Man, we've been, all of us at home have been deathly sick the last couple of days with some type of stomach bug. So uh, we're just getting off of that. But thankfully, I was actually able to get some milling done. So hopefully I get those doors done this week. Thank you for not uh, ralphing in the middle of our episode. Yeah, tell me. I, about I it. do. I do appreciate it. We How about you webcam. guys? Webcam. We are doing this through webcam now. So if if, if we did vomit profusely, I'd actually see it, and then I'd start puking too. And then we'd have this whole puking thing going on back and forth. <laughs> Thankful. So, so because we have the video cam, I can't just mute it. You you would just see me on the camera. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So as always, I've got nothing going on in my shop. Um, pretty much, I do. I, I I'm I'm starting to live totally in the virtual world now. So everything Just I do, I, I 3D do modeling, nothing huh? but design furniture all day long. Do you so enjoy it? I guess that I guess that has its benefits, and it's kind of neat to see this stuff go from. You know, where we start, we're initially consulting with a customer, then it comes through me and I design it and engineer it 
and then it gets to the production floor and then I see it done. You know, yeah. I'm walking through the, the shop and I see it come out of the finish. Oh yeah, I remember that piece. Yeah. Um, so it's a different aspect of enjoying the process, right? Yeah. Since they won't let me out in the shop anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, which is unfortunate. I tried to get them today. I tried to convince them to let me out in the shop to, to build something for them. No, 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 not going to happen. <laughs> they're, they're afraid I'm going to have a heart attack and die. Well, so, uh, someday. So, yeah. all right. I think that's going to do it for this show. And uh, we would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course, we appreciate the support and feedback. So please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions and you would like it answered on this podcast, you can send it through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And I can be found just about everywhere. Just search for Guy's Shop, and you should be able to find me. What about you, Lee? Uh, AlabamaWoodworker.com, and basically all my links to my so so social medias are on uh, my website. All right. And if Brian was here, I'd ask him, but he's not. So, <laughs> And I don't think he's, he doesn't have any social media anyway. So we're going to plug what he does have, which is simplecove.com. You guys That's all right. remember Sean, I hope. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really, really, really good website. So take a look at it. All right. We will uh, see you next time, Wee. See you next time.